0: So, Mark, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Good. Good. Yeah. Let's start here. Um, so, when you are in the education center, you know, like you, you are managing. I think one of the biggest uh, colleges in Pennsylvania, Penn State. That is right.
1: Yeah, one of the biggest in the nation, actually. Yeah. Really? Twenty-four campuses across uh, across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: So, when this whole started, what? like when they realized that this is real so what they told you like okay this is your
1: challenge what was your challenge now uh challenge um i mean it really it was just you know the same challenge i guess that the, most everybody in the world has had which is uh, every workplace has had which is um can we can we enable a a a, a safe remote working environment and and do what we do, um, you know, in terms of our core business at Penn State, which of course is higher education. So can we, can we basically shift all of our live classrooms to, um, you know, to remote classrooms? Can we, uh, you know, still effectively um, provide instruction, um, you know, to our, our many thousands of students? Um, can we provide the Appropriate communication underpinnings uh, for all of our um for all of our administrative staff you know who support that mission so that was really you know making making sure contact centers could answer phone lines from home you know and agents could easily function from you know from home, making sure that uh that uh, meetings could be held remotely, that classrooms could be held remotely, all those kinds of things and and securely of course
0: yeah security so w- like if 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 you don't mind what what you guys are using for t- security i mean is there some layer on top of the zoom or you are using something else
1: uh well I, yeah i guess it depends on um exactly how you mean that i mean we've got obviously the 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 usual sort of secure underpinnings of a large enterprise like ours you know enterprise firewalls and data center firewalls and all all of those kinds of things um you know two factor authentication right all the sort of de facto standard um you know defense in depth kinds of kinds of things um certainly in terms of um, you know trying to secure things at the application layer um like like many um um around the globe um, that are using these platforms like zoom for instance we we you know we've encountered um, you know those who would try to exploit um those events and try to uh, you know try to intrude on such events, um, whether it's for just fooling around, or, you know, in malicious purposes, or whether it's for something you know, um, like to you know, steal intellectual property or whatever, right? So we have to be cognizant really of both. The, the former obviously creates well, they both create a lot of uh, reputational risks. So so we take it very seriously. I mean. Um, you know the interesting thing about so, for instance, a platform like Zoom, of course, is their business model was to start out with a the a high degree of, of, of usability. Like that, their their thing was this is going to be the easiest thing in the world to use, and I, and I think that stra- And of course, the balance is between usability and security, right? It's to some extent, right? Um, and I think that they they accomplished what they set out to do, oh. which was to sort of become this dominant player in this in this particular. Um, in this particular uh, business and so um, the you know mission achieved and then but then of course what happens is people start to exploit that or what have you and that now you've got to start sort of battening down the hatches so um, so zoom, zoom has done that right they've started to add extra layers of protection to to um, you know to add security and of course, Now that everyone is used to that ecosystem, they're sort of tolerant of that, right? They're tolerant of, okay, now they've added this layer for an obvious reason. They've added this layer for an obvious reason. So, again, from a business strategy perspective, it actually seems pretty smart to start that way and then work your way sort of into a more secure, um, uh, albeit maybe slightly more difficult to use platform. Um, And then, of course, as end users, as as the service managers of, of, of that service for Penn State, we've done the same thing. We've said, okay, we can't. You know, we, we have to sort of batten down the hatches and we've sort of taken a firewall approach. So, you know, a firewall approach is you sort of, you put up the wall and you let people only crack open just what they need. We, we've done the same thing with Zoom. We, we've basically turned all the uh, sort of the enterprise global defaults back to sort of their most secure settings and have told meeting holders and instructors and, and you know, everyone who's using the platform that you're going to have to kind of crack open what you need So, um, and, and or leverage some of the um you know, some of the supplemental features that also add security. So things like um, waiting room, right? Those kinds of features where, um, you know, they they just are sort of an added layer of security. Um, But things like, you know, having just open chat and having uh, something that that seems as benign as like virtual (laughs) backgrounds, that that could could be abused right somebody could put up a a, you know a vulgar graphic or something in the back of a virtual background so all those things we've sort of set back to no these things are turned off um and and, you know sharing screens and whiteboard and annotation all the things that again could sort of be abused but we recognize that, that there are certain meetings certain classrooms whatever that those features are needed but the idea is well then turn on only what you need Um, and do the other just smart things in terms of just best practices to, um, you know, to secure your meetings in your classroom. So for instance, don't necessarily publish your, you know, your classroom meeting um, ID with password, everything up on a Facebook page or whatever, like for the benefit of your students, you know, just it might seem innocent enough, but the problem is any of that stuff could be obviously gleaned by an intruder. And And it's even less obvious than that. I mean, don't don't put your meeting credentials um, in the location of your of your calendar invites. If your meeting, if your calendar is public facing, like somebody can easily scrape your calendar or scrape one of your invitees' calendars. So you have to, yep. you yep. know, either share that stuff out of band or or put those join details down in the details of the meeting and in the location. You just say see details, and most people don't make the details of their meetings public facing. So that's that's a safe and secure way too. But so it's even this, as as um, sort of as, uh, as subtle as doing things like that in terms of best practices.
0: So, um, like how the teachers are coming to the, you know, like challenge I mean, their teachers they're, they're used to a blackboard and chalk or like, you know, like a, a sublime thing. But now all of a sudden now they have to be um, an IT person at home sitting and doing all those kind of things. Do you think they, they have to evolve? They have to have a training model around that? You guys
1: have some kind of training? Like we do um we do we have a, a whole group of people that provide that that kind of training we also I mean Penn State also has a very large world campus so we already are sort of in that business of, of remote learning and everything now obviously there's a segment of the institution that isn't that isn't their normal operating paradigm and so for those people yes it's been obviously somewhat of an adjustment but um, but yeah we we provide a combination of training um, we have um, certain um, uh, resources in place that they can utilize so for instance we have a thing called tech tutors where um, you know where anyone really can get help with how to use the tool you know how to best use the tool how to best leverage its features all those kinds of things uh, we also have a um, a, a thing called uh, um, tech TAs and so these are teaching assistants whose primary role is to be a um, a, a facilitator or a moderator of these online meetings so they can be the ones that are doing everything from welcoming attendees in from the waiting room to uh, monitoring the, the chat and the Q&A for questions, you know, so that the professor, the instructor can focus on actually teaching and instructing and not so much on all the, you know, the logistics of running a meeting online. So that, that's, that's been a huge help, obviously.
0: But as, you know, like... I was looking that, look at the, uh, the, like how the leaders of the world have to learn from this pandemic. This is one kind of a kind thing happened after the, the Spanish flu means it's not like Spanish flu, not deaths like Spanish flu, but we are so modern, but still the whole world economy just like went down. So how the leaders now have to come up, like what is the
1: role of a leader today? You think what he has to do? Yeah, it's a a great question. I mean, I guess first and foremost, they have to be a, um, you know, a a force for um, de-stressing to the extent possible the environment, just, um, you know, helping people kind of feel grounded and, uh, you know, providing the resources people need, providing the um, the empathy that sometimes that's what people need, right? Sometimes you just need to feel like other people get this, the stress that you're going through and certainly in these times. I mean, these are just so so strange and stressful and, and unprecedented times that uh, I mean you could look back at the Spanish flu obviously very strange and stressful times, too and, um, and, and obviously highly impactful to the world. Um, we're fortunate, I guess, you know, 100 or so years later, that we've got um, the internet, and we've got these resources that we can leverage to, to some extent, um, you know, circumvent the other, uh, utter devastation that something like this creates, to, again, to some extent, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I, and it doesn't matter really what business you're in, um, I, I guess, unless maybe you're, you're in the, like, unless you're unless you work for Zoom or <laughs> one of these companies, but uh, for the most part, it doesn't really matter. The, 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 the fact that the economy uh, around the around the globe is, is really tanking is, 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 is going to affect all of our businesses. So it doesn't matter whether you're in higher education or, you know, whatever the restaurant business or whatever, every business is going to be affected obviously by something that's as severe as a global pandemic. But um, but you know, in terms of leadership, I think we just have to. Leaders have to be able to um, help employees stay stay focused on the mission, to constantly help them contextualize their role, you know, in the in the bigger picture. Um, to certainly help them, you know, hopefully achieve some life balance, which some are obviously finding very. It, very difficult the work life balance in terms of uh, you know working from home and especially if you've got kids at home or you know other things going on at home that can be obviously very challenging but you know to be forgiving and to be empathetic and to just um uh, and to to try to provide resources to people I think that's right now that's the leaders' role calm provide resources and uh, you know help people empathetically get get through this.
0: Now, I was watching something on, uh, on you know, like the economic, um, economist sorry, and mm-hmm. they were saying that, hey, uh, China is coming up with financial powerhouse in the next uh, 10 years. Um, but looking at the way the things are moving, look like Zoom is an American company. Uh, Microsoft is an American company. Um, Google, like name a big, big name. Sure, so, they are entrepreneurship sure. companies, they're not like corporations born out of. Corporations—they're born or Dell, right? So, like, leadership is in America, but w- I was—I w- was looking at how we have to go from, like, right now, three trillion money is being made for people, you know, to right. it, And nobody's complaining about that, like, you know, like it's okay to print more money because now right. we need because otherwise they will say, oh, it's too much money, Democrats because Republicans. But all of a sudden, so I think so that the leadership will be with America because we made it, Zoom know that like 10 years ago, I tell you that um, six, seven years ago, I went to Pakistan for my old company. I used to work for a Chinese big company, like a big Chinese company in Pakistan. I went to the head office and the um, the the IT manager asked me, hey, we are trying to uh, have a meeting with Chinese and so what we should use, we can't use Skype, it's not good. It's not like it. And I said, use Zoom. It's what is Zoom. And I said like, oh you don't know Zoom? <laughs> like, you know, like that. And now right. everybody knows Zoom in the world. So I think the leadership will be here, but we have to pivot. We don't need leadership right now. We need um, a way forward, like in education sector,
1: like you guys have to make something new. What's yes, going Se- seismic adjustments, right, to, to yeah. any of our businesses and our business models. And, you know, you mentioned the word uh, entrepreneurialism earlier, and there's no doubt about it, at least in my humble opinion, that um, I'm also part of a uh, Pennsylvania.com startup, um, that, uh, that uh, I think businesses will be born out of this pandemic. Like there are going to be new, innovative, you know, businesses that come out of, of the the new needs and requirements for dealing with a global pandemic because it seems pretty clear this isn't going to go away anytime soon right we're not we're not going to have a, a well tested well vetted uh, ready to put into production vaccine you know in three months that's just not not mathematically possible so we're going to be in some sort of seismic shift in terms of our work practices probably for a couple of years and and who knows possibly longer depending on how this thing mutates and Changes over time presents new challenges to us, but um so I think you know ultimately we do have to think um, entrepreneurially we have to think about you know we have to think innovatively and come up with ways to um, you know new methodologies, new ways of thinking for for conducting business around the world and so i think I think we'll see a lot of of, of um, companies adequately um, adapt and 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 change appropriately and we'll see whole new businesses and whole new you know, business models come out of, come out of all of this. So, I mean, exactly. If if you're a restaurant today, you will have (laughs) deliveries right away. (laughs) No doubt about it. But of course, and of course they have to come up with, um, you know, something that's sustainable too, right. That's, you know, restaurants, I think have a, a, obviously a huge challenge because they're, you know, profit margins in the, in the restaurant business aren't typically very high and, and, you know, delivery services are not cheap. And so they have to come up with other innovative ways to, um, Whatever to, to be in that business, whether whether that's a different um, restaurant space paradigm, you know, in terms of where people are in the restaurant, or whether it's yeah, new new ways of delivering, um, uh, you know, and, and and everything in between. They're obviously going to have to really think outside of the box and come up with with wholly new ways of thinking about delivering their business. And some businesses may just not lend themselves to this, right? There are going to be certain. I, I, I'm guessing if you're in the, you know, I don't know massage business or tattoo business or whatever, you're gonna have a hard time, you're gonna really struggle because there aren't a lot of, you, there's not a lot of opportunity for variance in those business models, you know, so, um, so I think certain businesses, luckily for higher education, I think there's a real opportunity here to still um, deliver, you know, the instruction and life lessons that college students need um, in, a, in a different kind of paradigm. So I, I do think higher education is fortunate in that sense.
0: Um, so you were you just uh, talk about the, the the dot com something uh, startup. You are would you like to talk about a little bit about it?
1: What is it? Oh, sure. I'm happy to share. It's um in, in a nutshell, it's a um, it's a it's a um, it's a platform that um, supports the strengthening of of um, local communities um, and um, local economies. So it's um it's it's intended to be a platform that leverages. Um, local trust, um, you know, that you know, working, um, you know, working for your neighbors and and receiving services from your, from your neighbors, um, it's, it's, it's in essence, it's sort of an asynchronous bartering system, but it's kind of hard to describe (laughs) in in just a few words, but it supports Mm -hmm. um, everything from community volunteerism to, um, uh, again, to sort of bartering, um, services for each other to, um, Mm -hmm to also setting up sort of causes sort of along the lines of sort of the GoFundMe kind of, of, of uh, a paradigm where, where, for instance, a, um, a, a student from a lower to middle class family who wants to go to Penn State, for instance, for their, uh, for their college education, but simply can't afford Penn State's tuition, well, they could set up a, and their family could set up um, when the student is at a very early age, um, they could set up a, a, a cause that would basically allow um, family members and friends and whatever to work in this ecosystem um, and the earnings from those workings would go towards that cause so it's it's a it's kind of a hard thing to to describe in a, in a few words but it's basically a a, a sort of a social platform that um, that's focused on local economies and local um, economic development as opposed to you know you've got these large You know big box stores that come into a come into a local area and they build their big stores and people go there and shop because they've got economies of scale and so things are really cheap but when you and i shop at these stores the the profits don't stay in that community the profits right go go to the corporation that's you know headquartered who knows where so this is a way to kind of return back to sort of some some sense of of localism so it's it's you know it's it's the it's the classic uh you know uh Think globally, act locally um, kind of of
0: approach. Oh, beautiful. Now, uh, we will love to know more about it because one of my friends, he he is very active and I will share detail with you. Uh, Maybe we can have a chat with him. He's doing a phenomenal job. He is in Albany, New York area. Mm -hmm. I will share with you what he do, uh, which is a little bit out of the the scope here. So the last question before we can go. Mm -hmm. Education now is going from like teachers are working from home so security like cyber security Mm -hmm. these are endpoints mean you know like these are endpoints that you have to uh, secure from the teacher teacher can do some like they don't want to do it but they can and then like you have to secure the platform from your own like from your database your data centers and whole thing so do you think so that the companies need to make some new innovations or are you or you have some idea or you're using something that is you would say that like like next gen firewalls but now right. you need uh, you know gartner came up with SASI, like secured access service edge thing so right are you using something or do you have some like uh like success with it or you're looking into that
1: yeah, I mean I you know um boy it's a really really loaded question, really hard one to answer concisely, but um uh, I think it comes back to the expression I used earlier which is defense in depth. So I think you just need to make sure and and you know it's a it's a combination of of layers of defense but also, you know, adhering to um you know what are what are often just a lot of common sense best practices, right? So and and we have the technologies in place and sort of the underpinnings and infrastructure in place these days to accomplish these things. So something as simple as two-factor authentication, right? Where uh, for a user to get into a system, they have to you know, they have to have their their mobile phone with them and be able to authenticate with their mobile phone. And that's a really hard thing for an intruder to circumvent, right? But it's not impossible to circumvent. So. Yeah. You you just have to do these things again, sort of defense in depth. Um, you know, something as simple as so Zoom is moving to um, uh, GCM encryption um, at the end of May. So, you know, at least if um, you know if uh, if a Zoom meeting's transmission is intercepted or inter- intercepted rather, um, um, you know, the chances are those those uh, those those hackers won't be able to do anything with that content. So, I, I really do believe, and again, sort of everything from enterprise firewalls to Um, you know, multi-factor authentication to, um, you know, again, security best practices. We, you know, a lot of it's education, right? A lot of it's user training, right? Uh, Yeah. Things as simple as as helping users understand when to recognize a a phishing scheme, you know, versus not, right? To not provide their, their, uh, you know, their authoritative credentials, you know, via a, a phishing scheme to some intruder that then can act in their stead. So I think it's a lot of those things in combination is the key.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, I, I really love your insights. And uh, so how long you are in telecom? Like you just uh, graduated one day
1: and you decided to
0: be a telecom guy or?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, my background is, is, I guess, semi-interesting in that, um, I, I mean, I was a computer science ma- major in college um, and, and did some grad work in, in EE and, and telecom. Uh-huh. And I've always just sort of been fascinated with um, you know, human communication and collaboration, and so, um, so I um, I actually worked um, my first I guess my first sort of telecommunications job was back at the University of Maryland back in the early 90s, like 91 I think is when I started um, uh, working for the telecom department, if you will, um, at the University of Maryland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, yeah, so I was at the University of Maryland actually for about 22 years. That's also where I did my undergrad and graduate work. Um, but then um, then I went to the University of Iowa um where well, i did a five year stint um uh directing their telecommunications department um and then we decided we wanted to move back east to be closer to family and friends and such and so we came back back to the uh, east coast but not quite uh, into the throes of the washington d c area where where um, you know commutes are long and uh, stress is kind of high and so penn state was uh was was looking for a director in their telecommunications area and and uh You've the bill nicely. And I've, I've been at Penn State ever since I was about nine years ago. So,
0: nice.
1: yeah, I've always been fascinated with. Um, I mean, I was a software developer at one point, and, and have had other jobs in IT. But uh, but I've always been fascinated with with enabling communication and enabling collaboration. That's just to me, that's a really interesting and and a humanizing element of IT. I think IT can be so dehumanizing, but I think the kinds of IT uh, instruments and platforms that can bring people together, help people collaborate, um, and I've always also been interested in higher education because I believe in the higher education mission of 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 bringing people together towards global problem solving. I mean, we've got serious <laughs> if not if if this isn't an example of this, I don't know what is, but we've got serious problems around the world that need serious collaboration and minds to solve them, and uh, so the higher ed mission to me is always. It's always spoken to me as something that I'd, I'd want to support, even if it's from an underpinning yeah. you know, kind of position.
0: No, that that is wonderful. I mean, uh, my goal when I started this podcast, like when I, one day I was thinking that, like w- what is happening in each industry? Like, uh, I, I, you know, like some days ago, I have um, a podcast with one, my friend, Vinny Timaglio, who's in real estate and he's one of the biggest, JLL is one of the biggest property management companies. And he really said that, that the suburban's will have a lot of I mean like books after this pandemic because mm-hmm. now people don't want to go to New York and they want to work from near home. They don't want to so. I mean, six months or a year, then people will forget if, if, if it's tough. But, Maybe, yeah. So he's saying he given a lot of insight. I really loved about that what he told me, and the same thing you are telling me that you know education sector will have to do a bigger role like. The students now, there are a lot of virtual universities, right. but if Penn State is Penn State, or like a, like if you're a University of Pennsylvania, or Villanova, you know, these have to come up with new plans that if this is happening in five years, those students shouldn't have the same problem right. today. Or you wanna work from home like second day, teachers don't have to worry about like what I will do so th- that is something that really fascinated me so i started this uh, leaders in cloud podcast <laughs> right yeah. and, and and i really love the the different feedbacks from you guys so uh mark thank you very much um